If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 11, I would very much appreciate that. We're going to be looking today at verses 12 to 19. But I want to begin this morning by um, just uh, mentioning that all of us here this morning are very familiar with what an EKG machine does. And we know that health professionals will look at uh, the uh, uh, well-being of a heart by looking at uh, an EKG, an electric cardiogram. And they know that the healthy functioning of a heart is one of our chief vital signs. And this is what they know. If the heart is healthy, it is a good sign that the entire body is likely to be healthy. And the Bible says to us that there are spiritual vital signs. And those vital signs are indicators of spiritual heart health. It was those vital signs that Jesus came looking for on Palm Sunday when he entered into Jerusalem and presented himself as the Messiah. I want you to look with me at verse 11 of Mark chapter 11. And I want you to notice the last thing that Jesus did on Palm Sunday. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The very last thing that Jesus did on Palm Sunday was to go into the temple and look around. And this was a look of examination. What Jesus was doing was he was analyzing the vital signs of the Jews. The temple was the very heart of the spiritual life of the Jews. So therefore, its condition revealed the condition of the life of Israel. You know what the Bible says about us? The Bible says that we are the temple of the Lord. And so what happens in our temple reveals our spiritual condition. This morning as we look at this episode in the life of Jesus, in our series in the Gospel of Mark, I want to bring a message entitled, Checking Your Vital Signs. And this morning, we're going to see a simple principle worked out. In fact, would you read this with me this morning as we follow what Jesus has for us? Read this principle with me. We can test our spiritual health by analyzing our spiritual vital signs. And this morning, we're going to look at the first two. And then, God willing, we will look at the next two next week. But let's take a moment, shall we, and let's pray together and ask the Lord that as he examines us, that we might allow him to draw us after spiritual health. Join me in prayer. Father, we understand physically it is very, very critical to pay attention to our vital signs because if we ignore them, it can lead to a health crisis that can do serious damage, damage we may not even be able to recover from. And we know the same is true spiritually. The Bible is like a mirror. 
As we look into it, we see the reality of who we are, and the reason for that is that we might become doers of the word and not hearers only, so that we might develop into all that God intended for us, lest some spiritual disaster would make its way into our lives. And so today, as Jesus is putting us on the spiritual EKG machine, we pray that he will have his way in our lives. We pray that whatever he puts his finger on, as he did with ancient Israel, we will allow him to uh, press in and to reveal to us what he sees, because we know his desire always is to draw us after himself and after a healthy Christian life. So come now and do your analyzing of our hearts that we might grow in your presence and be all that you desire us to be. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Look with me, if you would, at verse 12, and notice how the next day, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Let's stop right there. Vital sign number one for every believer here this morning is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. As Jesus is here today looking into our lives, one of the things he's looking for is that we would be fruitful. Now, the time of year in this episode was Passover. Passover was about mid-April. And fig trees in Palestine have this cycle. In March, they produce small edible buds, and then large green leaves appear in April. Eventually, the buds drop off, and the regular figs ripen in late May or in June, about this time of the year. Those early buds in March were actually edible food for the poor people of the land. And so when Jesus came to this tree, though it was not the season for figs, he did anticipate there would be these edible buds, and the fact that there were none indicated that that tree would bear no fruit that year. So even though it was not the season for figs, it was reasonable for Jesus to find edible buds on that tree. Do you know Bertrand Russell, who was a very famous atheist in our country, used this episode as one of the reasons he was not a Christian. He wrote a book entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. And he said this episode shows the petulance of Jesus. He said Jesus is hungry. He comes to this tree looking for these buds. He can't obtain any, so he becomes bad-tempered and sulks and curses this fig tree. What a sinner Jesus is for lashing out at the fig tree. Bad Jesus, said Bertrand Russell. Now I want to say to you, this is sort of just an aside, 
Most of the attacks on the Bible are the result of ignorance just like this. Uh, When I used to sit in junior college and hear my professors attack the Bible, I would sit there and think, all this is revealing is how little knowledge you truly have. Uh, Let me tell you what's going on here. This was an acted parable, an illustrated lesson, if you will. In the Old Testament, in a number of places, the fig tree is a symbol of Israel. And Jesus is teaching an illustrated lesson about the nation Israel in his day. You see, like the tree, Israel had very impressive leaves. They had a magnificent temple, elaborate ceremonies, lots of sacrifices and offerings. There was an impressive priesthood. They had an ancient Old Testament book filled with amazing miracles. But underneath those big shiny leaves, there was no real fruit. Israel spiritually was barren and sterile. They had no vital godly relationship with the Lord on the inside and no true righteousness with God on the outside. And as Jesus cursed this fig tree, so Israel was under a curse and they would be judged and dry up spiritually in A.D. 70. And all of us know exactly what happened. The Roman general Titus and the Roman army came down and they destroyed the temple. They scattered the nation and they put an end to this bankrupt religion. And all of that is in the background of this illustrated parable as Jesus curses this fig tree and says, May no one ever eat from you again. Now, I learned something very, very important here that Jesus wants you and I to understand. And that is this. Healthy trees produce fruit. And just as healthy trees produce fruit, so healthy spiritual lives do as well. And we can do a lot of good things that may on the outside look very, very good. But if there is no fruit in our lives... They are nothing but big, shiny leaves. You know, as I thought about this, I thought back to what is the very first commandment in the Bible? I think all of you know. It is, be fruitful. In fact, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and subdue the earth. Genesis 1, verse 28. And what God was saying to the very first two believers, Adam and Eve, is I want a productive life in fellowship with me that will accomplish my purposes. And that's what God is saying to you and me. He wants us to have a productive life in fellowship with him that accomplishes his purposes. God is always and ever looking for fruit in the lives of his people. As I've thought about this, I I thought a very critical question for us to ask this morning is, what does it mean to be a fruitful Christian? If we were to answer that question, what would we say is involved since that is what Jesus is looking for? And I want you to notice that the Bible gives to us a number of very important answers. 
Notice the first one is this. Fruitful trees have a good root system. Would you drop down to verse 20? And I want you to notice what happened the next morning. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Did you notice that, by the way? This is the only destructive miracle that Jesus ever performed. Every other miracle that he performed was a constructive miracle. This is the only destructive miracle. It reveals how important a fruitful life is to him. But you will notice what happened to this fig tree. It dried up from the roots and it would never produce fruit again. Now all of us know here this morning, Jesus Christ is our root system. The Bible talks in Colossians 2.6 about being rooted in Him. Jesus, using this same fruit metaphor, said, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. He said, uh, uh, it is my Father's will that, that you bear much fruit. And He said, if you abide in Me, you will bear much fruit. For He said, apart from Me, you can do nothing. And so what our Lord was teaching us is that only He can enable us to produce true spiritual fruit. What this says to us this morning is this. Only if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior can you truly produce spiritual fruit. And I would stop here for just a moment and say to us today, Are you rooted in Jesus? Have you come to know Him in a personal way? Does He live within you so that He abides in you and you abide in Him? Have you come to know Him as your personal Lord and Savior? Apart from that, spiritually, you can only dry up from the roots up. And you can bear no spiritual fruit. Every good tree has a good root system. Notice secondly, fruitful trees also grow. We know a tree is healthy because it is a growing tree. And that's true in a Christian life as well. We are spiritually healthy only if we are growing. One of the best verses that I know in all of the Bible that talks about what it takes for a Christian to grow is Philippians 3.10. This was the Apostle Paul's quest. Let's read it together. And then let me just take a moment to explain from it what is involved in growing as a Christian. Would you read this together with me? That I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Notice what's involved here. The word know means to know Christ in an experiential way. It means to get to know Him better and better, and then to take the truth that we learn about Him and apply it to our lives. And when we do, the Bible says that we will experience His power. That is an internal power that enables us to change, enables us to live an obedient life. Uh, 
So it is a transforming knowledge of Christ that enables us to change from the inside out. Notice, secondly, we grow when we share His sufferings. The sufferings that Christ allows into our lives cause us to be refined. They cause us to be deepened. And so as we receive those trials from the Lord and and remain under them, learning what He wants us to learn, we grow in ways we could never grow during times of peace and comfort. And then notice finally, we we grow through self-denial. For Jesus to be conformed to death meant that he had to say no to what was his desires and he had to say yes to what was God's desires. He had to deny himself as he went to the cross and said to the Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And the same is true in our life. When we decide to put Christ first in our life, He becomes preeminent and we become under His Lordship as His faithful followers, then we begin to grow spiritually in our lives. So notice this amazing verse. How do we grow? It is by coming to know Christ experientially and applying what we see in His life to our life and that gives us power to change. Then we accept the sufferings that he brings to humble us, to refine us, and to deepen us. And then we put Christ first in our lives so that his will becomes preeminent above our will. And when we do, the Bible says, we are a growing Christian. Let me show you one more thing. One final thing. Fruitful trees produce food for others. Fruitful trees produce food for others. Back in verse 13, when Jesus went to the fruit tree, the the fig tree, there was no fruit on it. And the problem was that uh, Israel had a great, impressive religion. But rather than leading people to their Messiah, they were preventing people from recognizing their Messiah. And what a lesson there is for us today. Fruitful Christians are engaged in some way in leading other people to the Messiah. If we are a fruitful Christian and and we are growing and we have roots deep into Jesus... In some way, whether it's small or whether it's large, we will be helping other people on their journey to the Messiah. Let me ask a question this morning. Do these three qualities, do they describe your life? Do they describe mine? If they do, we will be fruitful. If they don't, we will not be fruitful. It is as simple as that. Spiritual vitality always, always leads to fruitfulness. And it is one of the signs that Jesus always looks for. 
Hear the command of God from the very first chapter of the Bible to the very first two believers, all the way down to Jesus, all the way down to our day. Be fruitful. Be fruitful. Be fruitful. Let's continue on in the story. Look at verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Here's the second element in a vital Christian life. It is the element of realness, realness. Now, I can hear you say this morning, Pastor, is that really a word? Is realness really a word? And I knew you'd ask that question, so I looked it up in the dictionary, and it is a noun. And you know what it means? It means something that is for real. Something that is for real. As opposed to what is fake or what is false. One of the questions we have to ask here is why was Jesus so angry? By the way, this was not selfish anger. This was righteous indignation. This was God's anger. Here's what happened. Jesus went into the court of the Gentiles. This morning, here we have an excellent model of Herod's temple in first century Jerusalem, just as it would have been in Jesus' day. Now, you see this large courtyard area, 300 yards by 250 yards. That was the court of the Gentiles. Now, as we read this story, we discover that the Jewish leaders, the priests and the scribes, were using it for three purposes. Number one, they were using it as a money exchange. The Old Testament said all males, 20 years of age and up, had to pay the annual temple tax, and they had to pay it in Jewish currency. And so the priests decided, here is a good opportunity, and they had these tables all laid out so that you could exchange the currency. They had an 11% markup fee. 11% was the markup fee. But you know, you know what we call that, by the way? We call that loan sharking, don't we? That's what we call it. They were taking advantage of the very people they were to be serving, and they were doing it all in the name of religion. 
Secondly, they were using the court of the Gentiles as a livestock exchange. In 66 AD, the Jewish historian Josephus said, 250,000 lambs were used at Passover. Can you believe that? A quarter of a million lambs sacrificed at Passover. Now, they were normally sold up on the Mount of Olives. But Caiaphas, the high priest, wanted to get in on the action. So you know what he did? He set up competition right in the temple. Can you believe what that must have been like? Imagine how smelly, how noisy, how chaotic the court of Gentiles must have been. And then one other thing they were using it for. They were using it for a traffic exchange. The Jewish Talmud, which is a commentary on the Old Testament by the rabbis, said, you are not allowed to use the temple as a shortcut through Jerusalem. I mean, you can see, this dominated the whole city. How much easier it would be to get from one side to the other by taking a shortcut through the court of Gentiles. And the Talmud said, you're not allowed to use it as a shortcut. Uh, uh, How many people like shortcuts, by the way? And so what they did was they trampled through this court, carrying their products, carrying their wares, Instead of a place for worship, it became like a busy, bustling street corner. It would be like being on the corner of McClellan and Washington Avenue at noon on a busy weekday. And you look at all of this and you say, no wonder Jesus was angry. Do you know what, by the way, this was the second cleansing of the temple? You go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 2, and at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus cleansed the temple in the same way. Now we have almost four years of the ministry of the very Son of God, and how much has changed? Nothing. Nothing has changed. And so now, as he begins the last week of his life... He has to cleanse the temple a second time. No wonder Jesus was angry. And what Jesus teaches us here is the answer to a very, very critical question. If I were to ask you this morning, what is real spirituality? We could do no better than to come to verse 17 and what Jesus said. And there we discover what it truly means to be an authentic follower of God and Christ. By the way, I want to point something out here. Did you know that the cleansing of the temple was a messianic sign? Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy right up through the last week of his life. 
And what he does in verse 17 when he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He brings together two messianic prophecies from Jeremiah and Isaiah to teach a very critical point that is the answer to this question. Let's look together, first of all, at the passage in Jeremiah. Look what Jeremiah 7, 10 through 11 said and predicted Messiah would do when he would come. Notice verse 10. And come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. And then look at Isaiah 56.7. Prophesying what the Messiah would do when, when he would arrive. Notice what he says. Speaking about the Gentiles, he says, These I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Do you see what Jesus was going to do when he came? He would judge the Jews who desecrated God's worship. And he would draw Gentiles to believe in him as the temple was designed to do. And they would become his true worshipers. We are in that group this very morning that Jesus predicted he would draw to God that we would become true believers and, and worshipers. You see, what Jesus did in these two Old Testament verses is he draws out two phrases that teach us what authentic, real spirituality is. And we don't want to miss this this morning. Jesus is a week away from his death. This is the only destructive miracle with the fig tree that he ever performed. This is very, very critical to him and it is critical for our lives. Let's look at his lessons. Here's the first one. When Jesus said the temple would be a house of prayer, this is what he said would be true of all people that are authentically spiritual. They would have a deep concern to give God worship and obedience that honors him. You see, a house of prayer is a holy place to meet God. Jesus said the priests had made it a den of thieves. You know what a den is? A den is a place where thieves go to hide. And so the priests, under the guise of religion, were hiding their greed and their self-indulgence. But what Jesus said is this. Real spirituality involves a deep concern to bring honor to God. That is when a life is authentically spiritual in the eyes of the Lord. Pastor Kent Hughes, who used to be at College Avenue Church in Wheaton, Illinois, 
said it so very well. Let me read to you how he puts it. Our worship must be authentic and from the heart. When we hear the Holy Word read, our hearts should stand at attention and we should attempt to absorb every syllable. When we pray, we should piggyback the prayers of the one praying with our silent and verbal amens, yes, lords, and hallelujahs. And there must be in all of this a willingness to devote our will to God's service. That is what it means to authentically worship and obey God. And all of this will spill over into a deep desire on our parts to live right in the eyes of God. When I was a student in Chicago, in downtown Chicago in the 70s, I worked for the evening school program at the college that I belonged to. I was a desk clerk. And I met a lot of people who were working hard all day long, and they were coming because they had a deep desire to know God's Word, and they would come to night school. And I admired those people. They worked five days a week, 40 hours a week, and then came and studied in the night school program. There was a wonderful black man, I forget his name, but he was in the program, and, and one day he came to me. He worked at Montgomery Wards. The headquarters was just down the road from, from the school. He handed me a copy of this letter that had been sent to the headquarters of Montgomery Wards. Let me read it for you. Dated April 2nd, 1979. I was a senior that year. Dear sirs, or to whom it may concern... I know sometimes these kinds of letters cause more problems than they do good, but I'm praying this will not be so in this case. I'm enclosing $10 for three pair of hose I stole as a teenager in one of your stores in a small Midwestern town. That was nearly 40 years ago. But through the years, it has come to my remembrance every once in a while, and I want to be free of that once and for all. I asked the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart and life 22 years ago. And I am free of all sin and blame in my spirit. But in the natural life, I so want my fellow man to see me as I am that I might do good upon the face of the earth until I am no longer needed here, that I want nothing on my conscience that I cannot rectify. I would prefer to bring this to you in person, but since that is not possible, I will trust you to accept it in the same attitude that I am sending it and apply it to the proper department. I thank you so very much. Due to the intentions of this letter, I will not sign my name. Therefore, you cannot return or reject my apologies. I do apologize and ask for your forgiveness. Though this probably will mean a time of sharing and perhaps laughter on your part. It means a great release and comfort to me. God bless you all. A friend of Montgomery Ward Company. This is precious in the sight of God. Because this is authentic worship and obedience 
that wants to honor God. This woman understood exactly what Jesus said. When he said, my house will become a house of prayer, it is a holy place to meet a holy God. And when we worship God in small ways like this, we are demonstrating real spirituality. Look at the second one. Secondly, Jesus said it was to be a house of prayer for all nations. And here the lesson is this. Authentic spirituality is a deep concern for lost people to come to know God through Jesus. You see, God wanted the temple to be a place the Gentiles could find Him as well as the Jews. But by turning it into a three-ring circus... The priests were showing callous indifference and disregard for lost people. And clearly what Jesus was saying is authentic spirituality involves a very deep concern for the lost. I will never forget a number of years ago watching Pastor Bill Hybels being interviewed by Peter Jennings on ABC News. And as Pastor Hybels talked about his deep concern for the lost, I saw on my television set tears well up in his eyes. And as he spoke to Peter Jennings, not realizing that it would not be much longer, several years later, that Peter Jennings, out of fear after 9-11, would turn back to smoking, would end up with lung cancer, and would be dead. He didn't realize that was going to take place. As I saw those tears in his eyes, I saw this pastor really loves the lost. God, give to me the tears that I see in his eyes. Do you know about ten years ago our church faced a very important decision? That decision was, should we have VBS or not? Our leader said it's a lot of work. It takes many volunteers. We had it in August in those days before we switched it. And a lot of people are traveling in August. And so the question was, should we have it? They decided, yes, we will have it. We will move it to June. And we all know the rest is history. And now this year, almost 10 years later, we have had the largest number of pre-registrations for our VBS that we have ever had. And you may not know this, but those 10 years ago when that decision was reached, I quietly rejoiced. I was glad. I knew it was not a small decision. I knew it was a critical decision because I knew this. A church that no longer cares to reach its children has lost its spirituality. But a church that is a church in a healthy spiritual condition will always, always be motivated 
by a desire to reach the lost. And it's exactly what Jesus said is authentic spirituality. Do you remember our theme statement? We can test our spiritual health by analyzing our spiritual vital signs. Here are two of those signs. Spiritually vital Christians are fruitful and they are authentic. And they are authentic in two ways. They have a deep concern to give God worship and obedience that honors Him. And they have a deep concern for lost people to come to know God through Jesus. Lord, may that be what you see in each of us here at Bethel for the glory of your name. Let's bow in prayer together. Just before we sing, it's so important that we take a moment before God and let him truly examine our lives. And I pray that we would all do that. Today, the Word of God has gone below the surface and searched our hearts. And whenever God's Word does that, we have to respond. The way we respond is by saying with David, Search me, Lord. Try me. Know me. See if there be any wicked way within me. And then, Lord, as I confess that and and as I ask you to help me to get it right, then we pray with David, Lord, now lead me in the way everlasting. And may God do that in your heart as he has done it in mine. Blessed Savior, We don't go to a temple. We are the temple. And just as the temple in Israel revealed the spiritual condition of the nation, so what we do in our temple reveals our spiritual condition. And just as Jesus longed for a change and ministered for almost four years to see that change, and it never came except in the hearts of a few, so he is here today longing for the same change in us. And we thank you that his word is ever relevant, it is ever true, it meets us exactly where we live with what we need. And we pray today that our lives will be offered to him so that he will be able to do whatever he desires to do to make us more authentic, more real, more fruitful for his name's sake. We ask it with Jesus' blessing. Amen.